I want to be strong, to have the flexibility and confidence to play soccer with my kids or volleyball on the beach. I want to feel energetic and spontaneous with my husband. I want my body to feel the freedom to move and enjoy life, to hike Yosemite, surf in Hawaii, bike to the beach, to have fun with friends and not be limited. I want to do things that love my body, to feel and experience all the sensations of life. I want my body to be a force in nature that overcomes difficulty and resistance. I believe in health and wellness and daily consistent exercise. Sarah Dorn Boss is a certified spiritual director on staff at Christian Assembly Church in the Los Angeles area. She is the director of Kids Hope, a mentoring program for at-risk kids and families in Los Angeles Unified School District and is pursuing a master's degree in social justice. She has been practicing silence as a discipline for more than 15 years. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it is great to have you in the studio, and I'm looking forward to talking about silence because this is something that is very difficult for me. (laughs) So tell me about your journey to practicing silence. Sure. So it started in 2004. I was on a backpacking trip in Rainbow Canyon, which is like part of Yosemite Wilderness Area. And part of the backpack was sort of directed or guided, and we were directed to have a day of silence where we didn't speak to the other people on the backpacking trip. And it was such a profound experience being quiet and actually listening to myself and the kind of thoughts that were under the surface, as well as being in such a beautiful place. And every evening we did the prayer of examine where you kind of look back over your life, whether it was 10 years or 10 days or two weeks, and kind of throughout that week, spending so much time in silence, at the end of the week, the person guiding the backpack said to me, you know, Sarah, all of these desolations, these life-robbing moments in your examine have to do with your career path. Do you think there's anything to that? And I kind of looked at him and was like, no, that must be just a coincidence, and Uh, but kind of started me on this path of changing careers because I had had time in silence to really listen to myself and reflect in a way that I wasn't distracted. I didn't have a cell phone. I wasn't looking stuff up. Um, And so that was really my first time experiencing silence intentionally. Obviously, there are times that were without noise, but it was kind of this intentional choice to be silent. And the person who led that backpacking trip led a silent retreat every summer, week-long silent retreat. And so I decided that I would go to his retreat. And it was a big stretch for me because I just wasn't sure what to expect. Um, So that was in 2005, the first time I went um, on a silent retreat. And The mornings were silent, and then you had the option in the evening to talk after dinner. Silence was broken. And I found myself during that first week really apprehensive about what do I do with all that time and how do I kind of keep myself busy, which is not the point of silence. (laughs) Um, But being able to hear myself and experience silence as a gift instead of something to be feared, I found myself actually withdrawing from the times of talking during that retreat. And that's kind of what hooked me in. So I, since 2005, have been going every summer for at least a week-long silent retreat. And I think most people start, um, you know, with like a half day of silence. Can I do three hours without being on my phone, without having input and stimulation, and kind of build from there? So I think the normal progression is like 
half day of silence, a silent retreat that's maybe two days over the weekend, um, and then maybe a week-long silent retreat. And then I know people that do like a 30-day silent retreat every 10 years. And I haven't done that yet. I aspire to it. But <laughs> um, but that's kind of, I think, a building block as you think silence can be intimidating and we bring a lot of our fears and a lot of our busyness into a silent space um, until we learn to befriend the silence. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing uh, just your story and your journey. So why silence? What are the benefits of silence? Well, I think, you know, we were created for rest and silence and Sabbath. And there's, um, I feel like nothing more antithetical to the American dream of achievement and efficiency and busyness than those disciplines. Um, I read a study once that talked about how animals in zoos, if they are just on display for more than six days, they start to show adverse signs of stress. And I think if animals can't overcome this sort of built-in rhythm of six days of work and one day of rest, then how do we as human beings think we can be better than that? That it's like a imprint of creation that is part of who we are. Um, and so for Christians, if they believe, you know, God created Adam and Eve as the first human beings, the first thing they did was rest. It wasn't, they didn't get their Sabbath because of seven days or six days of hard work, but they actually were invited to rest as a celebration of creation. And I think, you know, especially in the West, we have that backwards. We feel like we have to earn our breaks. We have to earn the right to detach because of our productivity. Um, and I think the gift of silence has been that it kind of flips that value upside down of I am valuable because of what I do produce or achieve. And I know that's not true, but I can easily slide into proving my worth through those things. Um, and the silence is a good sort of ballast or balance to a life of busyness and achievement so that I can rest and understand that I am valuable and worthy even if I do nothing all day. If I don't leave my couch and I sit in silence, my life still has worth and purpose and value. Um, Henry Nouwen has a really beautiful quote where he says, when we enter into solitude to be with God alone, we quickly discover how dependent we are. Without the many distractions of our daily lives, we feel anxious and tense. When nobody speaks to us or calls on us or needs our help, we start feeling like nobodies. And then we begin wondering whether we are useful, valuable, and significant. Our tendency is to leave this fearful solitude quickly and get busy again to reassure ourselves that we are somebody. But that is a temptation because what makes us somebody is not other people's responses to us, but God's love for us. To claim the truth of ourselves, we have to cling to our God in solitude as the one who makes us who we are. And so I don't I don't want your listeners to think this is like super easy and just like part of how I'm wired. It's not. I find it very difficult. Um, I had a pastor once who, in encouraging us to spend time in silence, said, like, you'll be depressed for the first half of the day. Because when we become silent, we start to recognize all that we're carrying, the hits that we've taken that week, the things that were disappointing that we've kind of pushed to the side in the busyness of our day and in the achieving of our day. And so I kind of feel like it's a detox. And when you, when you detox even from sugar or other things physically, there's sort of a period of time that it's very uncomfortable. And I would say silence is the same way. Um, but once you get through those first uncomfortable hours and 
for me, it's an inventory of like, what has happened to me this week? How am I actually feeling about these things I didn't really have time to process as the week unfolded? Um, And I have a lot of busy things on my plate. So I feel like throughout the week, I have all these open tabs in my brain. And, you know, even with our computers, the more tabs we have open, the less efficiently we run. And the silence, I think, helps me close those tabs and sort of check in and say, is there anything else that I need to reflect on or I'm being invited to think about in this silence? Because I don't have my phone to distract me. I don't have all these other things that usually help with that, the, the dis-ease or the uncomfortableness um, or the numbing that we normally do to kind of continue to go and be efficient with our lives. Um, so I think one of the benefits is that it's helped me be more stable and calm in the long run, even though it can be uncomfortable or I can feel like really depressed at the start of my quiet Sabbath um, silent day. Um, but I think because I work full time with at-risk kids and I travel monthly to the border to serve as a translator and I do respite care for foster kids and I'm finishing my master's I could not have that level of outward engagement without the balance of silence to ground and sustain that work and it helps me do those things more freely because my identity is not as wrapped up in them as if I'm without this silence to stop and reflect I can just kind of get on autopilot and keep doing 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 to the point of burnout um One other quote that I love is from Joan Chittister, and she says, Silence is a frightening thing. Silence leaves us at the mercy of the noise within us. We hear the fears that need to be faced, the angers that need to be cooled, the emptiness that needs to be filled. We hear the cries for humility and reconciliation and centeredness. We hear ambition and arrogance and attitudes of uncaring awash in the shallows of our soul. Silence demands answers. Silence invites us to depth. Silence heals what hoarding and running will not touch. And I can be a runner and I can be a hoarder, but I think silence helps me find balance and health in a way that nothing else really has in my life. Beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for sharing. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think for just absolutely in our culture and our society, there's a lot of noise. I mean, there's just a lot of people talking and I think for, you know, people listening, the thought of being silent for even a half a day could be pretty scary. Absolutely. You know? yeah. I mean, so for someone listening, um, what do you suggest for maybe just trying to think about this and conceptualize it? I would love to know a little bit more about your life, um, just your the work that you do, because uh, it does kind of sound like okay, maybe people who aren't as busy have an easier time practicing silence, but I would love uh, people to get to know you a little bit better. So tell us about your life. Okay. Um, So I run a program for LAUSD with at-risk students, so kids that are in foster care, kids whose parents are incarcerated, kids who are homeless and just lack a lot of stability in their lives and my role is to recruit and train mentors from the community to work one-on-one with each of those students. So the program is called Kids Hope and I match a mentor with a student that's been referred to my program and then usually that mentor follows that student throughout their elementary career. So I work at Igarak Elementary which is K-6 through and if I have a mentor that's matched with a student in kindergarten 
the hope is they will stay with that student until they graduate from sixth grade. Um, so it's beautiful, fulfilling work because not only does it matter to the students and their families, but I see how the mentors are transformed as they live in these really messy lives and they create a sense of stability and they are changed by compassion. Um, and then some of those students, I was able to do like a respite care certification through the Department of Child and Family Services so that I can be a place where kids can come and spend the night if their foster families um, are overwhelmed or are traveling and the kids can't travel with them. Um, and so I have students that will stay with me usually at least one weekend a month. Um, and then another weekend of the month, I go to um, Tijuana to translate there's a group actually of Haitian refugees and I speak Haitian Creole so um, I go down and I meet with them for medical appointments and asylum appointments and just get to be their voice and make sure that they are heard that they understand what is happening with their asylum cases most of them have been in Tijuana since September of 2016 when the U.S. government changed TPS or temporary protective status for Haitian migrants seeking asylum in the U.S. Um, so they've been there a long time. They understand waiting and perseverance in a way that really challenges my own definitions when I think about things that I'm waiting for or things that are difficult from my American privilege perspective. I, I find that to be a helpful balance um, to my own life. And then being in school, I just have to be really organized about when I do my reading and my lectures and my writing for classes so life is really full and I um, I call it I take a Sabbath on Fridays where I turn off my computer I turn off my cell phone my friends and family all know this and what's been amazing is like even when my mom was very sick there was nothing that happened on a Friday that demanded my attention and we can often think that you know what if something happens and my cell phone is off well there's very few things that can't wait a few hours or a day and it's been really freeing to actually not just know that in my head but experience that in my life um, so I set an out of office reply on all of my emails that says I don't check email on Fridays I turn off my cell phone I have a voicemail that says I don't check it on Fridays and that's really freed me to disengage and recharge and rest in a way that allows me then to be more present to all these I would say justice issues that matter and that are important, but would absolutely cause me to burn out if I was trying to fix or solve or engage out of my own power, not grounded in a sense of having worth and value outside of what I'm doing. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, it's, I think, been a really helpful thing to orchestrate my life in a way that has um, some of, of those elements in it. Um, yeah. Well, I think it's incredible how you engage in mm -hmm. probably the deepest, maybe even darkest um, mm. elements of our society. You mm. know, like at reason, it like makes me cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What you're doing, I think, mm. working with kids that, you know, are so vulnerable and innocent mm -hmm. and have had things happen to them that aren't their fault. Yeah. And that you're able to engage in those emotions mm -hmm. is amazing. So I would love to hear how silence has maybe uh, led you on this journey yeah. to do this work. 
how it has, you know, been a part of your path. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, well, one thing I thought was interesting is silent and listen have the same letters. And I think when I began practicing silence, what I didn't know I was craving was a desire to listen to myself, to God, and to my community and what I was being invited into. Um, and so I think that has been the greatest thing I have learned from silence is how to listen deeply. Um, and so one of the first silent retreats I went on after that backpacking trip um, the week before I had had a conversation with someone at my church who was like, you know, I think you should think about working for a church. And I was like, there's no way I could ever work for a church. Um, and the idea was that I could run this program called Kids Hope um, by coming on staff at the church. And I felt like it wouldn't work. I didn't have the creative imagination to see how that would be possible. Um, and so before I went on this retreat, the person I was talking to said, well, don't you have a heart for at-risk kids? I was like, well, yeah. He said, don't you um, have a background in public education? Because I was a public school teacher for many years. And uh, then he said, well, do you think you should pray about it? And I was like, no, I don't have the margin in my life to start this program. And then I went on my silent retreat for eight days. And what kept coming up in the silence for me wasn't like I should do this program called Kids Hope, which now is so meaningful to me, but I felt like the silence gave me some space to listen deeply. And what I heard in the silence was, could you just do the next thing? And I was kind of like, well, what is the next thing? Writing grants to have the program funded, getting permission from the school district. And so in a way, I feel like how my life looks now is because I was able to withdraw in silence and listen. Um, Two, I think some of the deeper things I was being called to when in the surface and the busyness of my life, I I didn't have the time or the attention to listen with depth. And um, in the contemplative world, um, they talk about silence as taking a long, loving look at what's real. Mm -hmm. And I think the loving is important because in the silence, we can be overwhelmed with our pain or confusion or disappointment. And yet... We have to take stock of what's real. And what was real for me on that retreat is that I do, I care deeply about the injustice that children experience. I didn't know how, I didn't, I couldn't see how it would make sense or fit into my existing life at that moment, but I didn't have to because I could live my way there. And I think the gift of the silence helped me pause and reflect and instead of making decisions based on what I could understand, helped me understand that there's something deeper about this work that was so core to who I was that I I needed to make room for it. And so there have been a couple times that silence has altered sort of my career path. Um, And I also think silence gives me great joy. Like if I miss my silent day on Fridays, my sisters or my roommate will be like, you need your Sabbath. Like I, I like that there's now this accountability that taking that time to be silent and to reflect and to listen actually benefits my community, not just me. Um, So that's a helpful, I think, aspect too of like people noticing and understanding. And and I have trained them now too to know not to invite me out to coffee on Friday or, um, you know, those other things because I think they have seen the benefits of withdrawing in silence in my life too. 
So what does a Friday look like for you? How do you shape a day like that? Well, it starts off with not setting my alarm on Thursday night, which I, in this work that I do, you know, it's very demanding and I don't get a lot of sleep. Um, I try to get, you know, enough sleep, but on Fridays I don't set my alarm. So I sleep until I wake up and sometimes I still feel very tired, um, but usually I go downstairs and make coffee and I sit in my recliner like a little old man and and I starting the day slowly I think also helps me listen and pay attention sometimes I recognize like my body is sore so I'll go for a run or do some yoga or like listen to what my body needs but often it's just rest and it's very low-key and people ask me like what do you do and I'm like I really just sit in my chair, like thinking. Eventually I'll journal, but I've also, I'm aware that I can slip into sort of a productive mode in the silence of like, let me get my journaling done. And let, it's it's not a task list or a to-do list, but it's about what do I need today that will be life-giving? And so it's that's been hard because I can start making an agenda or say, well, You know, I'll do that on my Sabbath when I have more time. Um, And so that's usually kind of it. I mean, I do spend some time in prayer and talking with God. I think that's what helps me kind of drop into a place where I can listen to not just the surface of my life, but what's happening at a deeper level. Um, So it's pretty simple. Um, You know, I know some people that on their Sabbath plan things that are life-giving, like Someone who's much more extroverted might feel like having coffee without a timeline is life-giving. But I think for me, the question is, what do I need today that will be life-giving? Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps orient how that day unfolds. And it's sometimes it's a surprise. I, it's, it's fun to be surprised by having that time to respond to what I need and make room for that. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about these silent retreats that you have yes. been on. Um, maybe let's start with what silent retreats you would recommend. And then I would also be curious um, what happens <laughs> when you're yeah, on them. <laughs> those are great questions. Um, so the silent retreat I've been going to for the last five years is in Los Altos, um, which is in California. It's run by the Jesuit brothers, but you don't have to have any sort of faith background to go. Um, the evening of it's eight days and so the evening is talking when you arrive you meet the other people that are there you meet the person that um, you'll have the option to talk to during the retreat if you need to process things called a spiritual director Um, and then you enter the great silence in the evening that first day of the retreat you eat meals in silence Um, you do have the option to meet with a spiritual director at those retreats so you can meet daily you just have like a regular 10 a.m check in with your director if you feel the need for it but i also think in the area in la um, where we live there's a bunch of really beautiful monasteries that don't charge you anything for walking their grounds so mater dolorosa in sierra madre um, the sarah retreat center in malibu both of those places you can just go to and they're beautifully landscaped gardens they're usually quiet spaces and um, just have some time to reflect if all you have is three hours in the morning initially i found it really helpful to leave my home because being at home there's a million things to do and i'll just throw the laundry in and then it becomes about production and achieving instead of rest 
Um, so initially I would go to Mater Dolorosa in the morning and start my Sabbath that way. Um, but now I feel like home is what works for me. Um, but I would say any retreat center in the area would have resources for people that are wanting to try silence and wanting to just um, carve out some space to feel what it feels like and see if there's any fruit for them that comes. Um, I also think there are some podcasts that are helpful, even if it's just an hour long guided meditation through silence. Um, The Japanese have a practice called forest bathing, which I really love. And it's basically going into a forest or a wilderness space, which we have plenty of here in L.A., and letting that cleanse your soul. So forest bathing is not taking a podcast, not taking a anything, our phones, and just being present to nature in a way that roots and grounds us in stillness. Um, and I think that's a really beautiful, accessible practice for people living in L.A. Um, the other practice that some people find really helpful is called centering prayer. I found it very difficult because it's basically 20 minutes of quieting your mind and letting go in a way that's very focused and so usually you start with two or three minutes of this kind of centering prayer and work your way up to 20 minutes Um, but that practice also can be a really helpful one to quiet our minds if we don't have a full day um, to practice silence to build in spaces where we can be silent um, along the way is also really helpful great so in the last 15 years which silent retreat was the most difficult (laughs) which one did you struggle oh man there's so there's this is such a tricky question because there are I've had such varied experiences like this summer I went in July I took my eight-day silent retreat and I was sick the entire time I was so mad because I had taken three days off before the retreat to kind of like get the things done so that I could enter into the silence and um and so I had to really surrender to the process of being sick and I literally was in bed like 18 hours a day and I'm a healthy young active like it was just shocking and yet there was such a gift in that too of remembering that I am not valuable because of what I do produce or achieve but that I my life has worth and value if all I do is stay in bed Mm. um but I think um the silent retreat that probably was the hardest for me was in 2016 after my mom died Mm. and I she died in May my retreat was in the end of June and my sisters and I um had been cleaning out her house because she was a single mom And at one point, I was so overwhelmed, as anyone would be, um, with all there is to do in letting go of a home that has been a home for 40 years and all of that, that I drove to a monastery in the area. And um, I said to the the priest, I'm not Catholic, but I, I met with this priest and I said, you know, I'm just having trouble finding balance in all that there is to do to get this house ready to sell and all there is to give away and organize and sort through. And he said to me, Sarah, you know, we have these practices in our life. And for me, those practices involve Sabbath and silence because those root and ground us for when real life happens. And he says, now you're in a real life moment. So don't worry about keeping your Sabbath. You have kept your Sabbath to be ready for this moment. Mm -hmm. And that really freed me in a way because the Sabbath or silence isn't 
isn't like a to-do list thing that we just have to check off. Um, I mean, it is important to schedule and structure it in our lives, but but to come to it without agenda. And so I felt like when he said that, it was such a gift. And then I, my mom lived in Michigan and that monastery was in Michigan. And so I actually left Michigan and flew to Los Altos for my silent retreat. And I happened to have been matched with the same spiritual director as the previous year. So it was so helpful because she already knew me and I could bring this sort of like unexpected death. I mean, my mom had cancer, so it wasn't totally unexpected, but she ended up passing away very quickly and unexpectedly. And so to have that director really um, companion me through the grief, because when there is so much to sort through and get rid of in a grief situation or in a loss, it can be helpful because it distracts you from the pain that gives you something to do. Um, But I felt like she helped me stay attentive to my grief in a way that was really really helpful and I I couldn't have done it on my own because it was too intimidating and overwhelming Um, but having a regular appointment with her in the morning and then having the day in silence to kind of sort through things and sift through things and grieve um, was so very helpful Um, and another retreat in 2013 um, I was I'm a pretty active person um, and so I was kind of going a little stir crazy and midweek in in that retreat um, we had the option to take a break and go into town and I was like does anyone play a pickup game of basketball and so I organized the game of basketball two on two and an hour into the game I ended up tearing my ACL on a silent oh, retreat no and I was like hobbling to prayer like I was just like, and I I was so in denial that this was like a major injury because it was a non-contact injury, but it radically, radically changed my life for like a full year after having reconstructive surgery and all that. And, and so that retreat, I think like in years later, kind of reflecting on like connections and ruptures because that's what happened to my ACL um, in my life. It kind of slowed me down in a very different way that had I not been practicing silence and retreats I think I would have completely lost it it was still very difficult but I think there was a way I could trust the unfolding and trust the healing that my body needed and to detach Um, so I've had a real variety of experiences on my retreats from like being sick and tearing my ACL and grief but I also think one of the real fruits of retreats is I feel so joyful and so connected when I leave Um, I'm also very aware that we live in a really noisy part of the world like LA has traffic and leaf blowers and horns honking and car alarms going off and in a retreat setting we don't have those things um, which is really beautiful so coming back can be sort of a re-entry process for me (laughs) yeah tell me about your re-entry how yeah that works that yes. seems pretty stark contrast it's it is two different worlds for sure um but I think for me I know now that it's going to be a hard couple days I try not to schedule a lot of things I don't check my email my first day back because there are hundreds of emails and it just feels overwhelming so um usually I go to a retreat that ends on a Tuesday um and then I sort of take Wednesday as a re-entry day Thursday 
I sort of get a sense of where work is at. And then Friday, I take my Sabbath. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of a built-in balance there. Um, but that I figured that out over time, though. I didn't know that the first few years. And one year, I went from the silent retreat to a concert. And I was just like, I felt like my head was going to explode. And everything was so loud. And I was like, Sarah, this was a terrible <laughs> idea. But, you know, we learn by mistakes, mostly. Um, and I think the other thing that's been really helpful for me um, is to establish a regular or a rhythm of life so that I don't have this extreme experience of withdrawing and then this crazy busy life. But how do I take what the retreat gives me and integrate that in small ways into my life? Um, and so what I do daily, I... A couple years ago, I work really close to my school. I have an office off-site from Eagle Rock Elementary, and then it's like a seven-minute walk. And I gave up driving for Lent in order to just be more present to my life. And what I realized is just having a seven-minute walk where I'm not in front of a computer and I'm not in a car driving um, reset my brain. Mm -hmm. I didn't need my coffee in the afternoon after program. but I And also just like paying attention to the leaves changing and – the people that were on the street and being part of my community, immersed in my community, um, was so surprising. And so I I walk to my school, and that gives me a little bit of time. Um, when I'm commuting home, I, I sometimes will turn off my radio if I just feel like I've had a really busy day. I just need a 20-minute silent drive home to sort of detox from the day. Um, so daily, I walk or I turn off my radio. Weekly, I take a Sabbath. Uh, monthly, I meet with a spiritual director who will ask mm -hmm. me questions or help me kind of look at my life more reflectively, and I found that to be super helpful. That's something I'd never heard of until I went to a silent retreat and was like, what is this? Is it therapy? And it's not. It just kind of asks you questions about living your life with intention and purpose. And then yearly, I do the eight-day silent retreat. So those are kind of my rhythms that are I've found to be sustainable. Now, if I were to get married and have children, those rhythms probably would change based on the season of my life. But I think there are always ways that we can incorporate silence into our life that will nourish and sustain us um, in really important ways. So what insights have you gained from your silent practice? I think, first of all, silence has helped me take like honest stock of my life. Um, the things that are going well, which some people call consolations and then the things that are not going well are desolations mm. um, those looking honestly at those things in the silence have helped me glean insights about changes that were needed sometimes it's a physical change where I notice my body just isn't feeling well sometimes it's a scheduling change where I'm like I have way too much on my plate I just I have to redo I have to f I have to let something go and I think the silence helps me take stock of those things honestly. Um, I also think silence recalibrates us in our noisy world that is so full of distractions. And um, having had silence to reflect about my involvement in Kids Hope or letting go of a different job that I had, I think was so important in living this life that is really in line with who I am and who I want to be. And had I not taken the time to be silent and think about them, I might still be teaching in the classroom or doing a different job and 
Um, and so I feel like this silence has helped me recalibrate and take stock of things. Um, I've actually dated two guys I met on silent retreat. So, I mean, even though it's silent, there's a way of connecting with people that is so different than having a conversation. So at the retreat where I go, we eat in silence all of our meals and having someone pay attention and pass you the salt without even asking it. I feel loved when that happens and I think people that go to silent retreats maybe aren't your typical people or have some things in common and so it's been funny to find um, real connection with people there and then I think it also helps me realize when I'm off balance um, when I enter into silence especially in a retreat setting with other people because I will be like so angry and frustrated at someone who like chews their food noisily or um, slurps their coffee and it just helps me see like I am not centered in balance I am not living from a place of love but of control and striving and the silence illuminates that in a way that I can easily ignore in my day-to-day life and so I think those are all ways that or all insights that silence has helped me understand and appreciate in my life. Thank you. Those are amazing insights and benefits. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just sounds like your life has been so benefited yes. by these spiritual um, silent moments. Yes, that's why we spaces. have to overcome the fear of yes. the silence because there's so much good that comes from it, but it is intimidating and it is countercultural, but it's so necessary. Thank you for just sharing I feel like you are so articulate and your ability to communicate and clearly you have thought about this and Mm. just your experience for all of us listening who feel like silence is a little scary Mm. um, because that means that you're alone with yourself and your thoughts yes and you know I'm I am more of a very social kind of person so and a verbal processor so for me, I, in order to know what I'm thinking or even feeling, I have tended to need to verbalize it. Mm-hmm. So the thought of being alone with myself and having to think myself through and feel and not yes. have anyone to be with other than myself, it does sound a little scary. Yes. But I think what you just described sounds amazing. It seems like there's a lot of freedom there and it just sounds like you you made it feel very doable, hmm. very inspired Good. to try this out. I mean, you know, I am a mother of three kids that are all teenagers and trying to help launch them into life mm-hmm. is kind of my, um, just my priority right yeah. now. Yeah. But I absolutely think, I mean, just as I was listening to just ways that I could incorporate silence. And I'm very motivated to do it. Yay, <laughs> so, good. And it feels freeing and yeah. not um, like something I have to do. Good. I think the way you described it feels very open and freeing versus you know, a structured yes. thing. So thank you for just describing mm-hmm. silence in such a beautiful way yeah. that I want to try it. So <laughs> Good. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to do this. <laughs> Good. It is so countercultural, like you said, that it is intimidating, but that's mm-hmm. the beauty of it. That's mm-hmm. why we need it because it is unlike anything else in our lives. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And just to that self, like agency, the ability to self-care, mm-hmm. I mean, that we do have tools within us yeah. to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and but we have to give time to listen right uh, to know how to do that and I love the spiritual director I think mm-hmm. I would want to incorporate yes. uh, and utilize that for sure so thank you thank you for being here today and I do always ask all my guests what are three regular practices that help you stay healthy and I know you've described a lot of them yeah but is there anything else that you do on a regular basis well, I would say my my top three are obviously my weekly Sabbath regular exercise because I think the way we carry and store stress has to be discharged some in different ways. So physically releasing stress as well as entering into silence as a way to take stock of that stress and its impact on me is really helpful. Um, and then spiritual direction. I think it's so invaluable to have someone asking me questions and looking at my life through the lens of what is life-giving, Sarah, and what is not, and how can you make decisions based on what is life-giving has been really helpful. Um, The other thing that I use is an app called The Pray As You Go, and it's got a daily meditation, but it also has, like, some different, like, scripture stories where you can enter into them, and that is something I use every morning because I'm really distracted when it comes to, like, reading or paying attention, and so... Um, listening I've found actually helps me reflect differently too so that's another one of my tools and I do that actually on my silent retreats I'll listen in the morning to that prayer time so that's great thank you well you've given us a lot of information today but are there any other resources that you suggest for someone who's curious about silence maybe not ready to commit to a retreat but maybe just wants to get started any books websites sure um, somewhere people could go. Awesome. Um, Well, I'm a big reader and The Way of the Heart by Henry Nouwen, um, he talks about connecting with God through prayer, wisdom, and silence. So if if your um, listeners have a spiritual background, that might be something that's really um, meaningful to look at it through that lens of connecting with God. But there's also a book called Rest, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less Mm -hmm. by Alex Sujung Kim Peng. And he is an amazing writer and uses all this scientific data to say why our bodies need rest and time to detox, time to not be productive, and that when we give our bodies that time, we actually work more efficiently. So it blew my mind, and I was like, of course I know this like intuitively, but it's nice to have like the science to back it up. Um, so those two books, and then there's a podcast I listened to called The Practice Tribe, where they kind of guide you through different disciplines, and they have several on stillness and silence. So if a, if a listener is kind of just interested in putting their toe in the water, that might be something where they can learn about these practices. Um, but I would say there's we can do tons of reading and tons of um, learning, but there's no substitute for actually being silent. Um, and so that's where the real growth happens. Um, so whether that's forest bathing or turning off your radio or making a three-hour commitment to be silent, um, go to a retreat center, any of those kind of beginning levels. And then Los Altos, where I go for retreat, has a one-day retreat, a weekend retreat, a five-day retreat, an eight-day retreat, and a 30-day retreat. So it's kind of like choose your own adventure with silence. Lots of options. Yes. And all those have the option of being directed or non-directed. So directed means you would meet 
with someone once a day to kind of process your experience. Non-directed means you are just kind of on your own in oh, the that's silence. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, less intimidating actually. Right. To know exactly. That many options. Yes, and to have some accountability because I think if it's just up to us, we naturally want to distract ourselves or mm-hmm. numb out or feel overwhelmed by all the things that present themselves in the silence. So I find it helpful to go with a companion, have someone those first few times. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, one last thing mm-hmm. about the forest bathing, because that does sound very intriguing yeah. for me. I love nature. And how do you find out more information about that one? Um, I can actually send you a link that you can share with your listeners. Okay. Um, but there is um, several articles actually that have been written about, because it's primarily practiced in Japan as a spiritual discipline. Um, and so when I read about it, I was like, oh, this is so beautiful. Why don't we do this in the West? So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it, I think that would be a wonderful resource we could share okay. as well. I'll put that in the show notes for everyone. Well, thank you so much for being yes. here today. Thank you for sharing your experience and your heart. And I just am so thrilled to have spent this time with you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Balanced by Beth is a podcast to inspire women to live strong. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personal medical advice. 